You're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD. On this episode, we're joined by Dr. Todd H. Barron, Professor of Medicine and Director of Advanced Therapeutic Endoscopy at the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Dr. Barron is here to share his approach to treatment for patients with esophageal perforations. Let's hear from him now. So we see esophageal perforations not only in iatrogenic, which is what we're talking about today, meaning dilation for strictures, but we do, at least at my center, we're seeing patients with spontaneous esophageal perforations or Borhoff syndrome, and the approach is somewhat similar, but we'll stick with, let's say you had an iatrogenic perforation at the time of treating an esophageal stricture. So the biggest thing, of course, is to recognize that you have a perforation and Usually it's fairly obvious that you have a through and through tear and you're obviously already in there with the endoscope. And so I pass a rigid guide wire. Most of the stints, although not all, are non-through the scope stints, although more and more we have through the scope placement of esophageal stints. Understanding that if you do want to use a through the scope stint, you generally have to have a therapeutic channel upper endoscope. So you may not abuse that for your dilation. And it's not, I think, a big deal to do a non-through-the-scope stent placement. So I will place a rigid guide wire because I may or may not have fluoroscopy. And when you have a rigid guide wire, you don't get the looping in the esophagus. You get a one-to-one transmission of passing the stent. And then I will pass the endoscope alongside the stent in these cases and deploy it under direct endoscopic visualization without the need for performing fluoroscopy in these patients. Although again, if you have it, that's fine too. In terms of the type of stint, generally we're going to be placing covered stints. The question is then, do you place a partially covered stint or do you place a fully covered stint? Those are somewhat individualized decisions. Obviously, if you place a fully covered metal stint, the risk of migration is relatively high. In most of these, it's going to be short-term, but you'd be surprised that even some of these stints migrate relatively quickly, and then you lose the effectiveness. If you use a partially covered stint, meaning that the ends of the stints are uncovered, the uncovered ends will embed in the tissue and make the risk of migration much, much less but if they're left in a longer, meaning more than a couple of weeks, then you're going to get embedding of the tissue with the uncovered metal stent and can make removal a little more complicated, if you will. Or if you are inclined to put a fully covered stint in, there are those that suture stints in place who have suture capabilities. I... Despite all the advanced endoscopy I do, I don't do suturing. So your other option in that case would be to place some sort of clip device and not through the scope clips because those are too flimsy. They're not robust enough to hold the stint in place. So we're talking about what's called over the scope clips and there are data to to support Um, that will reduce the risk of migration and they're relatively easy to remove later. So let's say that you have a patient with a Borhoff syndrome who came in fairly ill. They had leakage of fluid by the time they got in. They had drains placed. You don't want to risk 
in that patient, a stent migration. And often the Borhov syndrome's cases often don't have an underlying stricture to actually hold the stent in place. And so in those cases, and it may be a longer term situation for those to close. So in those situations, I often prefer placing a very large diameter, partially covered stent. When I say large diameter, of course, in general, in the esophageal stent world, you have diameters anywhere from 16 to 23 of the mid-body of the stent. The flanges obviously tend to be three to five millimeters larger. The GE junction tumors, where you tend to have a higher risk of migration, I'll use the 18 millimeter mid-body that generally have a flange of 23 millimeters on each side. Because you also have to remember if the distal end is in the stomach, which often it is, of course, in a G junction perforation, that distal end doesn't contribute a lot to anchoring because it's free within the stomach. And so you're really talking about hoping that you have anchoring from the proximal flange by itself because the distal flange is not in the esophagus anymore. So again, I, I often use partially covered stint and then a large diameter. Now you might say, well, how and when do I remove those? So let's talk about, again, the Borhobs case where I've seen those take a longer time to heal, very, very deep, large tears. I would probably even wait four to six weeks. So let's say you go back and you do the endoscopy and the proximal end is deeply embedded and you're worried about what's going to be the case of removal. There's something called the stint and stint removal technique, whereby you place a fully covered esophageal stint through the partially covered stint and you wait approximately two weeks and remove both of them. And what that does is that the buried wires of the uncovered stent that you may not be able to get to the surface, the fully covered stent causes pressure necrosis with the tissue between the uncovered part and the newly covered part. So you get this tissue necrosis, which basically brings the wires back to the surface. And then when you go to remove them, you can remove both of them very easily. And I've done that many times and not had that fail. Otherwise, again, if it's across in the stomach and the distal end is free floating, as I mentioned, you can grab the distal end and invert the stent itself. So you're basically just inverting it right back onto itself. And often that just peels away the partially covered part at the proximal ends. And also keep in mind that we're talking about using these for indications that aren't there, right? So that's an off-label indication. In fact, use of esophageal stents at the current time are really for malignant disease, understanding that many of us place them for benign indications, but I just want to preface that that's off-label use of that device. Now, let's say you have a post-dilation perforation. Generally, those do close fairly quickly. I think you can go back and remove those stents within a couple of weeks, I probably wouldn't go back earlier than one week, but probably certainly by two weeks, that should be well closed and then easy to remove. That was Dr. Todd H. Barron discussing his approach to esophageal perforations. To access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash GI Insights, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.